1: It's a Sports Fix Thursday, uh, version 2.0. I don't know, maybe we're on version 3.0 at this point, (laughs) as long as we've been doing the podcast together now. Um, I'm late today uh, with you. I told you um, to be ready at 10.15, and then um, I couldn't do it with you at 10.15. And the reason why I couldn't do it at 10.15 is I just recorded an interview with Taylor Heineke, which I will run on the radio show tomorrow at eight a.m. So if you listen to the radio show, or if you don't, Team Nine Eighty tomorrow morning eight a.m. with Taylor Heineke, who could not be a nicer young man. Tommy, smart, quick, um, some personality, uh, and I actually enjoyed my conversation with him. You know, I, I know you don't always enjoy your conversations with athletes. Um. And you're very, very critical of some of them as interviewers uh, or interviewees. And I don't always enjoy them either. This one I really enjoyed. Really, really nice young man. Really smart. Tommy, he's taking classes at ODU. Some of these classes that he was taking, do you know how hard they are? Like, they're ridiculous. Like, you're talking about derivatives classes. I asked him what mathematics in nature was because that's one of the classes he was taking. And he got into, like, well, you know, like you see a spider web. And then I, once I started to think about all of the different, you know, possible um, geometric designs of that spider web, I sort of checked out on his answer because he's clearly very bright and, um, and he got a contract yesterday, which we did have Cooley on to talk about. Um, we know more about the deal here this morning than we did yesterday. Um, it is really not a very significant deal in terms of the commitment that the team is making. It's a $1 million base salary year, one, one one and a half million base salary year two. But there's only $500,000 guaranteed in this deal. With that said... I know they like him. I think he's absolutely going to be on the roster this year. What was your reaction?
2: Oh, I mean, look, uh, there's no reason why they wouldn't have signed him to a deal like that. It's obvious they liked him. They liked him. Uh, He said that Ron Rivera was the only NFL coach who showed up at his pro day, right? Uh, Scott Scott Turner, yeah. Well, I I thought he mentioned Ron Rivera. Uh, Okay. But, uh, I mean, that could be wrong. I'm I'm just reading... Reading what's been reported, so I don't know, so obviously they like him. The deal is a good one for the team uh you know it's not a lot of money. it keeps them you know in, in the loop uh and he sounds like he sounds like your typical backup quarterback have you think of how many backup quarterbacks that you've known are not nice guys
1: <laughs> it, comes,
2: it comes with the territory
1: yeah. Yeah cuz I mean, cuz you have to I you mean, have
2: to sub, sub, sub your personality and your ego to be the backup quarterback.
1: I mean, Cold had you within 10 seconds. He had yeah, you hooked.
2: But he's but he's not the only one. Most backup backup quarterbacks wind up working for ESPN when they're done.
1: Yeah. True. You know? No. True.
2: Well, so, it's not surprising. He sounds like a very nice young man. And uh, I think it's a good deal for the team. I definitely would want to have him in the mix. Is there going to be a mix? There's going to be a competition.
1: Yeah, so this leads me into this, and this is what I want our opening conversation today to be. I also have a couple of other ideas for conversations um, before the end of the show. Um, But the... Conversation that I wanted to start with, unless you have something better, we didn't, you know, pre show, you know, uh, discuss this this morning. I'm doing polls now, Tommy, on the radio show. Um, I do polls primarily because they're sponsored. I don't love doing polls. I've got to come up with a poll idea virtually every day, but they're being sponsored, and they're being sponsored, by the way, by one of my all-time favorite sponsors, Window Nation. Harley and Aaron, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownationcom slash show. By the way, right now, get two free windows with every two you buy, and you don't have to put a down payment down. You don't have to make any payments, and you don't have to pay any interest for two full years. You'll save thousands. Just tell them that I told you to call. But anyway, I put the poll up today. And I tried to keep it really simple, even though I wanted um, more discussion about it, which I got via the follow-up and then on radio this morning. The starting quarterback week one, 2021, for for the Washington football team will be, and I gave two choices. The first choice was Kyle Taylor or Alex, basically the quarterbacks that were on the roster at the end of the year, and the quarterbacks that could be on the roster next year, or Uh, a quarterback that's not on the roster currently. Um, 54% so far think that the quarterback that starts in 2021 is not on the roster currently, and 46% believe that it's either uh, Kyle Taylor or Alex Smith. What's your answer to that?
2: I think it's either Kyle Taylor or Alex Smith. I think it's Kyle. Kyle Allen. Why? Will be your starting quarterback. Uh, Because, I mean... That's who Rivera wanted to play this year. You know, I mean, that's who, you know, Rivera made it clear at the end of the year that anything that people were impressed by by Alex, that Kyle could have done the same thing. You know, whether you believe it or not, that's what Rivera believes.
1: He wasn't even Uh, asked. He He just volunteered that information. He wasn't even asked that question.
2: Yeah, so he's, he's, he's establishing the credentials of his starting quarterback for next year in a, in a comment like that. Now again, I mean, I could be the contrarian and say, well, no, they're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers or they they're going to they're going to somehow get Deshaun Watson or they're going to draft Justin Fields. But I mean, the most likely scenario is Kyle Allen, I think, if he's healthy. And according to what he says, he will be healthy.
1: Yeah, um I agree with you. Wow. Uh that was my answer this morning. Um It's not my preference, but I think that's what the answer is going to be for a few reasons. Number one, they took a big swing at Matt Stafford, and they didn't get Matt Stafford. They expressed interest in Jared Goff. Um, Jared Goff's in Detroit. They have, according to The Athletic, they are one of the teams that has expressed interest in Derek Carr. I would expect the Washington football team, if Sam Darnold is available, to be one of the teams that will be interested in Sam Darnold. Um, It would not surprise me if they, you know, kick the tires on, you know, guys like Tyrod Taylor or Marcus Mariota or Jameis Winston if he becomes available. I'm not even mentioning Deshaun Watson, which would be the other in addition to Stafford that I would really want them to. To be aggressive, going after those were the two. You know, Stafford and Watson. I don't think Watson will be available, um, and I don't think uh, and Stafford isn't anymore. Um, but I, if if they went after Darnold, I wouldn't be upset with that, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do if he becomes available. And then you know, there's Tyrod Taylor, and there's Jameis Winston, and there's Ryan Fitzpatrick, and there's Dak Prescott. You know, this thing with Russell Wilson yesterday apparently upset the Seahawks, and there was a story also in the Athletic that described a situation where the Seahawk um, uh, brass not really happy with the interview that Russell Wilson did with Dan Patrick where he expressed the desire if not the demand to be involved in personnel decisions and also you know through some of the uh, teammates and 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 front office people under the bus a little bit with how many times he's been sacked. Even though, to be fair, he took a lot of uh, of the blame for that as well. Essentially saying, "Look, I'm a guy that makes plays, and you know, I, I run around a lot and I try to extend and and those guys do get sacked more. You know, Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, and Russell Wilson were the three most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL. Why? Because they're always trying to extend and wait and try to make a play. And in the case of Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson, it's why their teams have chances to win and have won in the past because they make so many of those plays, but they also give up some sacks, um, some sacks in the, uh, in the interim anyway. Um, I mean, what if Russell Wilson got dealt to the Cowboys and Dak Prescott became available? So there are people out there that I wouldn't mind if they took a big swing at. And I prefer that they go in that direction. My feeling is this, though. They wanted Stafford. Watson's probably out of their league. They expressed interest in Goff. He's somewhere else. You know, Derek Carr, personally, I I hope they don't spend two firsts. I wouldn't even give up a first for Derek Carr. Um, And that eventually, you know, maybe not by choice, but by, you know, it's not a within-their-control situation, right? I mean, the player, if if he's a free agent, needs to want to come here. And if it's a trade, in some cases there's no trade clauses where they can influence where they go and where they don't go. Um, and other teams could offer more. I just have this feeling that we're going to end up with Kyle and Taylor Heineke. They're going to battle it out, and Kyle Allen's going to be the starter opening day 2021. I don't think that Alex Smith will be on the roster, but if he is, it will be at a much lower number. It won't be at a $24 million cap number. It'll be, you know, probably one-sixth of that, maybe, maybe a fourth of that. I mean, maybe you go to $6 million, um, but uh, in, in terms of what you would pay Alex. But I think it's Heineke. I think it's Smith. I think Smith wins the job. I think Heineke is the backup. And then if they draft a young quarterback at some point along the line, um, depending on where they draft that quarterback would sort of dictate what they do with the other two and where that quarterback is in terms of whether or not he's competing for a starting job or not. But that's how I think it's going to play out as well.
2: I think uh, think I'd like to separate the field of potential quarterbacks to – Uh, One category is big step, okay? If you get one of these quarterbacks, your team takes a big step forward next year. And then small step.
1: Okay. If you
2: get one of these quarterbacks, you might take a small step forward. But not a huge step.
1: Okay, who's in Matt
2: Stafford, I think, was a big step. Of course. Deshaun Watson, obviously. Yes. Big step. I mean, the other guys like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, all big steps. Right, Sam Darnold, small step, and this is a maybe. It's maybe small step. You know, even Derek Carr, small step. Okay, so I mean, I'm not interested in a small step quarterback if I'm a red. If I'm a Washington fan, I either want the big step or I'll play the hand that I got.
1: I think that you, there's an in between category <laughs> between big step and small step because I think that. Like Sam Darnold would be the perfect example. We haven't seen enough of Sam Darnold. He was a first-round pick, a high first-round pick. He's played on a terrible football team, a terrible offensive football team. But he's had moments, and the league likes him. Like, if you read between the lines, you can tell the league values Sam Darnold. There's a lot of belief. Kuiper wrote this, you know, in his last draft thing, that there are a lot of people around the league that will tell you that if Sam Darnold's put into a, a better situation, that he will thrive. So, I think there's an in between. Like, yes, Stafford, Watson, top of the list. And if, you know, if Dak became available, I think Dak could be a big step um, guy as well. I think there's an in between category where I would probably stick Darnold. I would stick Winston. I would stick Carr, I guess. Because I think that that in between step, if you signed one of those guys they're starting they're your starting quarterback and the plan is for them to be your starting quarterback for a while it may not be the big step that you thought Stafford would provide or certainly Watson would provide and I think maybe even Dak would provide Um, but Darnold Carr Watson in between step where there's a chance that they end up being big step guys. And there's a chance they end up becoming small step guys. And then the
2: smaller... You see, you don't know how to make the step. I don't. You're not a good step builder, no. (laughs) You're not doing well. Because a big step, to me, would be 10 wins or more. Right. Okay? Yes. Now, uh, they they won seven games this year. How can there be a middle step when 10 wins is a big step.
1: Um, to me a
2: small step oh, is one eight wins
1: maybe. No 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 a big you know? a big step is 10 plus. Yes. A uh, 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 an in between step is um could be 10 plus. I'm not looking for no. 8 or 9. Could be 10 plus or could be a continuation of 7 or less. I'm just not sure. That's why it's an appropriate step. It's in between. It's an uncertain step, you know, like you take every day. Because your steps, especially, you know, if it's a steep uh, staircase or if the weather's bad and it's icy, you have to be really careful. It's an uncertain step. Your next step could be your last.
2: You know what? It's not icy here, buddy.
1: (laughs) No, it's it's not. Not not where you are.
2: In fact, it's about 68 degrees right now and and you know the only reason
1: I've been with you though you're in lucky. icy conditions. I've been with you in icy yes, conditions, I and I have seen the difference between a big step which you're un- you're incapable of making in icy co- icy conditions, a small step which you're not really comfortable making, and an uncertain step. It was so uncertain oh, that I had to oh, drop you off you're- on dry pavement at the Super Bowl in Dallas that year every single day because you were so <laughs> the uncertain. Super
2: Bowl in Dallas. It was like ice station zebra.
1: <laughs> it was. Come on. It was terrible. It was like
2: walking a, on an ice skating rink.
1: God, it was awful. But what I did... but what did I do for you that whole week? What well, did I
2: do? you wanted me on the show wanted me on the show with you?
1: I didn't want you that much on the show. <laughs> I could have done the <laughs> show without you. But I took you right to the front door where you would step out onto well, all don't
2: make it. Don't make it like you did this big thing you had to pass by the front door no, to get to the not parking ever, lot.
1: Not all the time. Not all the time.
2: Oh, yes, you I did. went out of my yes way to did. drop
1: but you what? on drive no, payment you underneath no. a big overhang.
2: All you did a big was overhang. stop and let me out of the car.
1: Here's the bottom That's line. All you if I didn't stop and let you out of the car, there would have been some uncertain steps from you. I'm a more confident but, stepper in, in bad weather. Um, anyway, you know, knock on wood, it'll happen next week. I'll break my hip slipping on the ice. Um, I think there's an in-between step. That's all. I think that Darnold okay, I don't. and Carr and what was the other one I said? Winston. God, Winston is so intriguing to me, but I think Sean Payton's going to keep him. I think Sean Payton is going to keep uh, Jameis Winston. So do I. Um, and then I think there are the Tyrod Taylor's and the Marcus Mariotas and the Gardner Minshews and the, you know, and you the...
2: might as well keep Kyle Allen. Yeah, he he... might as well go with Kyle Allen. You know, if what? bring any of those guys.
1: You know who I wouldn't just stick with Kyle Allen if he wanted to come here, Ryan Fitzpatrick.
2: Who? Of course not. Of course not. He the gets... guy who can't make up his mind, <laughs> the backup quarterback starter. You get the best of a backup quarterback, but like he likes being a starter sometimes.
1: I don't even know what step we would put him on because it's not a big step. It's certainly not a small step, and it's not an uncertain step. Um, it would be. Yeah. It would be a certain but very short step. It would be a very short sto- uh, staircase. It would be basically, he, he'd be doing the two-step, Tommy. He'd be two steps, and that would be one year, two years done. And then we have uh, we have some exciting times, maybe with Ryan Fitzpatrick.
2: Look, for the, for the fun factor, count me in on Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> yeah. if, I was, if I was a Washington fan, uh, again, I'd, unless I'm taking a big shot, I'm staying with what I got.
1: Yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick would look at Taylor Heineke and he would say, "Look, it's not Harvard ODU. Um, you know, yeah. some refer to it as the as the Harvard of the Tidewater area. But man, you were taking yeah. some difficult classes, and good for you. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I really, my gut tells me that they took a big swing that we know about. They may have taken another swing that we don't know about. The reports are Goff and and Carr." Um, that they might even take another swing or two, but that ultimately they're not going to get somebody. And Stafford was their best shot. And they're gonna go and and look, it would be one thing if they had um, you know, John Beck and and not I don't even want to say Rex because the coaching staff believed in Rex. Um, John, you know John Beck and Colt McCoy coming back. Although Jay Gruden believed in Colt McCoy, if you had, you know Alex retiring and he had played the whole year, and you really didn't have anybody. But they like Kyle Allen. They don't actually. They don't like Kyle Allen. They really like Kyle Allen. They like Taylor Heineke. I was told by the way, Tommy, and I shared this on the radio show, and I forget if I've said it on this show or not. That prior to the Carolina game. Um, which was, you know, the game that followed the game that Alex got hurt in, and it was not a, it was not a must-win game, if you recall. Um, I'm yeah. sorry, it was following the Seattle game. Dwayne's came in in the San Francisco game because he was the backup. And then he played in the Seattle game. And if you recall, they were down 20-3. to Hopkins missed an extra point. But Dwayne had him deep in Seattle territory at the end with a chance to win the game. I was told that basically everybody but Ron Rivera wanted Taylor Heineke to start the Carolina game. And that Ron Rivera immediately said, no, it's Dwayne. And he, remember, said when he cut Dwayne about starting him against Carolina, he said, well, he played pretty well in the second half against Seattle, and I felt like he had some confidence off of that second half, which, by the way, I felt too. Like, I thought that was the best that we had seen of Dwayne all year long, even more so than that Philadelphia game. He got into a rhythm in that second half, and they were down 20-3, to and he drove them twice for touchdowns and then had a chance – down twenty to fifteen. If that dumb dumb Hopkins didn't miss the extra point, they would have kicked a field goal. The game would have gone to overtime at twenty twenty. Um, but uh, but I was told that basically, not that Ron believed that Dwayne was some sort of long term answer. They knew that ship had sailed at that point. But without Alex being able to play, he said very early in the week, "Nope, we are going with Dwayne." And you know, Neil and Rockville reminded me. Imagine that they had started Taylor. And he had gotten hurt in that game, and they had lost it. And then Alex started the Eagles game, got him into the playoff game, which would have left because Alex couldn't go in the playoff game, Dwayne to start the playoff game because they wouldn't have released oh, him.
2: Neil, oh, my God. <laughs> Neon is Dwayne infatuation. It's, it's been really pathetic.
1: Well, he's, he doesn't like any of them. I mean, he basically said the only thing the three quarterbacks on the roster would be good at at this point is a three-legged race. <laughs> <laughs> which is mean uh but you know the, yeah they've all been injured you know there's that concern too but the but the net of it is this i think it's going to be kyle with Taylor Heineke and no Alex, and then a third that comes from somewhere, and, uh, you know, it's a young player, um, and that the, the, one of those two will start. My lean would be Kyle Smith, and the only reason I think that's even in play. Kyle Allen, not the Kyle <coughs> Kyle Smith. Allen, I do that all the time. Kyle Allen. The only reason I believe that's in play is because they, they like both of them. And they think they can run a, a competent, professional NFL offense with certainly Kyle Allen. And I think there's some belief in Taylor Heineke as well. And the, the, the other part of that is I just think they'll strike out on everything else. And I think that they may have, other, they may have a few opportunities, but they may look at those opportunities as, well, why are we going to spend on that? That's not much better than what we have.
2: Yeah, I would agree. Okay, Sounds good.
1: Did we solve that?
2: Let me ask you a question. What? Uh, Is Washington still a toxic destination in the NFL, you think?
1: I think there's still a stigma, but I think the fact Uh that um, Chase Young was on the team and that their defense was perceived to be really good and on the rise and that people know about Terry McLaurin, And people believe in Ron Rivera being a good coach. I think that it's not a cross-it-off-your-list-immediately destination anymore. I think part of the issue, though, Tommy, and this is maybe what they recognize, too. They have all this cap space. They probably feel like if they found like Matt Stafford, that they could then also attract some big-time free agents with Kyle Allen as your starting quarterback, or Kyle Allen and/or Taylor Heineke. Is Allen Robinson really going to come to Washington instead of going to Los Angeles? Is you know Kenny Galladay, if he's available, you know, is Chris Godwin, if he if he ends up leaving Tampa, you know, you have to think in those terms too because. You know, you, you're not going to attract a big-time wide receiver, which they they want. They want a second wide receiver. Look, they swung big on Amari Cooper last year. Why didn't Amari Cooper come here? The money was better. Well, maybe it's because he really likes Dallas. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give in to that. That's a, a big part of it. The other part is, well, who's your quarterback? I mean, what's your offense going to be like? You've got a new offensive yep. coordinator, and you know, Haskins. I'm not a believer. So getting Stafford would have put you in a position to also attract with all of that cap space you have uh you know free agents to the team. And by the way, just not on offense, on defense too. If you if you wanted to spend money on defense. So I to answer your question, I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as it used to be um after one year, but I think the the more important issue now is, is it attractive enough from a, you know, hey, I've got a chance to really thrive. You know, offensively, there will be question marks about a wide receiver's ability to thrive <clears throat> if the quarterbacks coming back are Kyle, Taylor, and Alex.
2: All good points. I mean, in the old days, even when they were toxic, the attraction was this is a place to go get paid. Yeah. And that's not the case anymore.
1: Well, that hasn't so. been the case for a while because Bruce Allen cut, that, cut that gravy train off.
2: Yeah, he did. You yeah, know, he
1: did. For, for 10 years, and I've talked to players about this. Except whenever, for
2: Josh Norman.
1: <laughs> except Well, and, and Deshaun Jackson. And neither one of them yeah. were good fits for the team. Actually, Jackson was, um, but not necessarily culturally. Uh, but, you know, I've talked to players before and and, you know, basically – the, the the whole league viewed, when it was Dan and Vinny, they, the whole league viewed them as they're going to overpay, period. So I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to go listen to their pitch because I'm not going to get a better financial offer than the one I'll get from them. And then we went through this era of Bruce Allen being the guy that signed players to great contracts. The problem with most of it is that the players sucked. You know, Tommy, it really is fascinating when you consider the two different parts of the Snyder ownership. Part one, which was Dan and Vinny, you know, overspending, over-trading, for aging stars past their prime, absolutely intent on making a huge, you know, marketing splash in the offseason to sell tickets, to sell corporate suites, to attract corporate sponsors, with absolutely no uh, idea about what it, w- whether or not it would lead to wins. And then you get to the Bruce Allen era, and you know there are a couple of decent signings along the way. Obviously, Pierre Garcon was a really good signing. Um, Vernon. Davis was a really good signing, but my God was Bruce the King of, Hey, I got a great deal on a D plus C minus player. You know, it was one after another, you know, whether it was, you know, Kendall Reyes or Tenard Jackson, or, you know, EJ Biggers, uh, you know, all, all these guys that, that, that just came in and he's like, look at the deal we got on Tracy Porter, or look at the deal on Stacy McGee and Terrell McClain. Remember? he started the two you know the two m guys from from dallas mcgee and mclean and it was like they got the be- oh my god they hardly played paid anything for them well the reason was they sucked you know they couldn't play terrell Pryor. oh my god they stuck oh their god, chest yeah. out on that one steven Piya i mean Terrence knighton deshaun goldson jaron johnson david bruton I mean, it was just one shitty deal, great deal contractually. Bruce was so proud of himself, none of them could play. None of them could play. Now, they. So, what's, go ahead. so now what's this group going to be like? We're going to find out. This is going to be really their first free agency period with money. You know, they've got some money to spend. They went after Cooper last year, and they swung big on on Amari Cooper. My belief is, based on information I had at the time, is that they were going to be very interested in Kenyon Drake had Drake not re-signed immediately with Arizona. But remember, it was very much a dip your toes in approach for Ron Rivera last year. Remember, he didn't want to extend anybody. If anybody didn't want to be there, like Trent Williams, um, you know, he was moving on. Uh Dunbar, Quentin Dunbar, he was moving on from him. It was about the culture change. And he wanted to make sure he was right. You know, I think he knows enough about Brandon Sheriff now to know that they've got to extend Brandon Sheriff. I think he knows probably enough about Ronald Darby and Kevin Pierre-Lewis that he may, you know, offer them uh, extensions. Um, I think, you know, Kyle Allen is that, you know, uh, exclusive rights-free agent, knows enough about him. Um, By the way, Cam Sims is a restricted free agent, so they're going to have to re-sign him as well. So it's going to be interesting. Like this will be – he's got a better sense, better lay of the land, knows what he has, knows what he doesn't have. Um, I I think he is still going to – Look for guys that can play, but he's not going to take risks on guys where the due diligence comes up as, eh, you're taking a shot with this one. Maybe it's the right fit here. It wasn't here for whatever reason. I don't think he's taking a chance on any of those dudes. I think he's still.
2: Well, then it's 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 a good thing he got some help this year to, to make the decisions with the money they've got. Sure. It's a good thing he brought in some new help. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, and it's an
2: important year for the front office.
1: They have a hell of a lot of cap space and they're gonna probably create yeah. more with, with Alex Smith. And they've got needs. You know, this team was seven and nine last year. We, you know we, we're all aware they played a playoff game and they played a playoff game against the eventual Super Bowl champions, and it was a close game. But they got a lot of needs. And there there are lots of ways to fill those needs. The cheapest way is through the draft. But that's also the one where you're, you know, least sure about. There's going to be some opportunity opportunities in free agency, but remember, with free agency, the player needs to want to come here. And I, um, you know, they gave Amari Cooper in the first year a big deal, and I think what they saw is they saw a guy in McLaurin that, with another guy opposite him, they had a real chance to be, you know, much better than most people thought offensively in the first year. I agree with them, by the way. I think if, if Cooper had been on the team, they would have been even more explosive. Um, but, but we'll see. It's going to be an interesting offseason. The quarterback thing, it sounds like you and I agree on amazingly. Um, yeah. We think it'll be Kyle Allen starting with Taylor Heineke. And you, do you think Alex Smith will be on the roster or not? No, I don't. I don't know. But, either.
2: you know, again, I mean, this guy, I mean, you know, you think I'd learn not to bet against this guy. But, no, it, just, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't. Yeah, I'm just
1: reading because I literally just – this just hit my phone. Um, Kime just released a story. I guess he did it earlier today um, about Alex Smith. I'm trying to see. There's just no chance he comes back on his current deal. Um, John basically spells it out. Returns on a lesser deal, retires from the NFL, released by Washington. Yeah, it's one of those three. Obviously, it's one of those three. I I honestly think that – I don't know, man. I can't. I don't. I can't figure him out. Like I, I would have thought, he proved what he wanted to prove, and he might retire. But he didn't play poorly when he was healthy on the field this year. He probably thinks he can play. How many years? He's six years younger than Tom Brady. He's probably thinking, if I'm back healthy again, I can play another four or five years and give a team something. And he can, he can. He can provide something. It's just unfortunately not going to be consistent enough, and he's not going to be healthy enough. Anyway, uh, okay, um, back with a couple of other subjects right after this word from one of our
0: sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: I wanted to get to this real quickly because i just saw this um where when we went to break Uh, matt stafford i guess spoke today or maybe it was yesterday um to detroit media outlets and he said he was very surprised that he got traded to the rams he told the detroit free press he initially thought he would be heading to indianapolis san francisco or washington all were obvious landing spots looking for a quarterback quarterback. He actually didn't think the Rams would be a team that could pull off the big trade. He said, quote, I'm not a salary cap guru. It's, it kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't sit here and go crazy. I just tried to let it happen and LA aggressively jumped into it. Um, And he's excited about that. You know, it's a place where he wants to be, but you know, that, that comment means that, you know, he would have accepted a trade to Washington had it happened you know the, that was the thing about the the difference between like Stafford and Watson he didn't have a no trade clause in his contract he couldn't control where he got traded he couldn't stop detroit from trading him to any place that detroit uh, decided to trade him to Um, Stafford said he met with team president Rod Wood and owner Sheila Ford-Hamp just after the season to have a conversation, and the Lions were open to his request because he did ask to be traded and started seeking out trade partners after the team hired Brad Holmes to be the GM and Dan Campbell to be the coach. Um, Anyway. uh,
2: What were the other teams that he said he thought he might go
1: to? Indy or San Francisco. Indianapolis, Washington. Indy, San Francisco, Washington, yeah. Yeah. Remember okay. Carolina um, was reportedly the team that along with Washington was the front runner on that Saturday before the Saturday night when the deal got done with the Rams. Brad Holmes remember was Where part-
2: is the most Where's the most pressure for him to produce out of all those teams?
1: Well, it would have been in one of the three places that you believe are teed up to win a Super Bowl are contend for a super bowl so the rams the colts and the 49ers. If he'd gone to I don't to... think
2: I'm not sure people think the Colts are teed up to win a super bowl. Oh,
1: I do. I think with the oh. right quarterback they they are.
2: I think he wound up with the team that has the most pressure to win a super bowl for him now. And that's the Rams.
1: Yeah. I, but I think all three teams. Had he gone to any one of the three, the expectations would have been super high. But maybe out of the three, yeah, I could see that because Sean hasn't won one. Yeah. Because they've, they yeah. they are going all in right now. But yeah. if Indian, but yeah. if the Forty ers had gotten him, it would have been a bit of an all in move too. The Forty Nineers, it would have.
2: It would have. Yeah. But I mean, you know, the the Colts are just coming off a year where. Where they had Philip Rivers as their starting quarterback, and, I I know, and they you
1: know, were so it, yeah, and they were super close so my, to advancing in the postseason. I mean, they nearly beat Buffalo, and I think I think people around the league really think the Colts roster with with really good quarterback play is at, you know Rivers was coming on. It, uh, they would have been a tough out, and they nearly were for Buffalo. Um, I think they look at that situation and, and say, you get an elite quarterback in there. Um, that may be a little bit younger than Rivers. You've got a a window here of two or three years to win it. That's a good roster, man. That is a hell of a roster. That is a good defensive football team. Um, But the 49ers probably out of all three with Stafford and if Bosa and everybody comes back healthy may have been the team – that would have been closest to, the, closest to winning the Super Bowl of the three. The Rams are really good, too, defensively, but the 49ers were the best defensive team in football in 2019 and lost some players and you know due to free agency trade and then, of course, the injury to Bosa and others. That, that really derailed their season, and then they didn't have a quarterback for most of the year either. So the 49ers were in the Super Bowl and had a 10-point lead against the Chiefs a year ago. They just came back with a team that was too injured and too limited. And if you put Stafford on that team and Bosa returned, you I think they would have been a bigger favorite to advance to the Super Bowl than the Rams are right now. And the Rams are up there.
2: That may be. But the perception is more than anybody because Sean McVay is his rock star coach. Yes. And the Rams are in L.A., that there's more pressure, I think, on him and the Rams' job than it would be at the 49ers' job.
1: I, I, I mean, I, it's so
2: obvious that they brought – I mean, the Kyle, Kyle Shanahan went to the Super Bowl two years ago, okay, with Jimmy Garofalo, okay? Or Garofalo, uh, yeah. I mean, it's so Garofalo. It, I mean, it's so obvious that Sean McVay has gotten uh, Matt Stafford to win the Super Bowl. That's it.
1: Well, Sean McVay got his team to the Super Bowl also and lost to Brady and the Patriots with Jared Goff at quarterback.
2: Right. but, but I just you, think he, he wound up in the highest pressure job he could.
1: I think the reason that I would agree with you is that the Rams have made it very clear by the way they've handled their off seasons it, it, that the future is now. You know, the the George Allen uh, mantra. The future is now. They have thrown, uh, you know, they've essentially thrown away so much draft, future draft capital, and they think they can win it now. And they certainly have a defense that's capable of winning it now. And I think if they add a receiver, I think they need one more receiver. Cooley pointed that out yesterday, too. You, You put one more receiver on that team, and you have yourself a team that in the NFC along with Green Bay and and Tampa, um, and you know, it depends on what the New Orleans situation is at quarterback, uh, but you put yourself right there in the mix to be an NFC champion and advance to a Super Bowl next year. So, um, yeah, I agree, but
2: the Rams are also the Rams are also different because there's tremendous pressure on them. Yes, I'm agreeing in with the you. LA market, I know but, oh, because uh, of the but, LA I mean, even market, even more than any other team, the LA market to establish a presence in their new stadium, which, you know, didn't take fans last year when it opened. So it's like opening up all over again probably this year if they have fans. I mean, there's a battle going on in L.A. like no place else in the country. What do you mean? When it comes to to marketing and fan bases. And the Rams haven't been in L.A. L.A. didn't have football for 20 years. They're still trying to establish themselves in l a, so it's real important for for that team to compete for the Super Bowl pretty much as soon as that stadium opens, which even though it did this past year, they'll have fans next year.
1: Um, not that this is you know disputing anything you you just said because I agree with you. the 49er fan base is much more passionate than the Rams fan base.
2: Much more. I, I know that.
1: Yeah. Okay. I know
2: that. That's why they. That's, I'm saying they have to establish. I know a fan base.
1: Do you know who would be greatest? You know.
2: And then, by the way, the the 49ers fan base uh, is diminished significantly by the fact that their stadium is almost an hour away. That may be. Tr- tr- so. That may
1: be true. But I think one of the underrated fan bases over the last, you know, many many years, obviously 30 years, you know, uh, or longer, going back to the 80s. Um, a lot of people thought, you know. In general, the California fan bases weren't passionate. The 49er fan base was super passionate in the Bay Area, super passionate. Um, You know who would be a tremendous help to the Rams uh, in marketing efforts would be, if he were still alive, Pete Rozelle. Because in that Al Davis 30 for 30, which you did not watch, and I've asked you to watch it, which is you know fine, it's not the greatest 30 for 30 I've, I've ever seen. I just think Al Davis is such an interesting figure, and I think the relationship and the the adversarial relationship between Roselle and and Al Davis was, as it was billed, one of the great rivalries in the history of all of sports. Um, but Rosell was the PR guy for the Rams. He made the Rams super popular yes. in Southern California in the 1950s. Um, it, it, he was he was basically the the PR guy. I guess back then it wasn't just handling interviews for athletes; it was coming up with a a real plan to market the team. To the area in which it played, um, but anyway, uh, well, I
2: don't think it hurt. It hurt the Rams that their quarterback, I think, was married to or dated one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Hold on, can I time. guess?
1: Can I guess? Was it Waterfield who? and Jane Mansfield? Yes, yes, I got it.
2: Jane Jane Russell.
1: Jane Russell. Jane Russell. Jane Russell. Yes.
2: We, which is the, which? Good, wait, though. hold
1: on, hold on. Is it Jane Mansfield that, that was killed in the car accident? Yes. Oh, that's who I was yes, thinking of then.
2: Very, and she's buried in Penn Argyle, Pennsylvania, right outside of East Stroudsburg.
1: She was gorgeous.
2: Yeah. Yeah, she
1: was. The J- J- Jane Russell. Yeah, she was. I mean, Jane Mansfield. It so was
2: Jane Russell. They were both gorgeous.
1: Okay. And so and so Waterfield was was married or dating Jane Russell?
2: I don't remember. One of the two. Might have been married.
1: Um, so. Do you know who Jane Mansfield's daughter is?
2: Yeah. Uh... Mariska Hardigay.
1: Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah.
2: Her father was a a champion weightlifter, Mickey Hardigay.
1: Exactly. He was Hungarian or from some country over in Eastern Europe and was a big bodybuilder, weightlifter. He he married Jane Mansfield and they had um, Mariska, who of course um, is uh, the star of law, you know, has been a longtime star of law and order.
2: 22 years i think yes. It's unbelievable something like that but you know I, i'm so down i used to be all i used to love mariska Hargitay because i mean one thing she
1: she's a yeah babe. yeah
2: but uh i always like law. i like the law and order franchise and uh, I, i've never i've, I liked I've never been, and, been a fan no i shouldn't say oh, that. i've I'm, never I watched
1: mean, it i've never really watched it
2: Criminal I obviously intent, know the regular law and order svu i like them all but I'm down on SVU, which is the only one still currently producing shows, because Mariska Hardigay has turned into, Olivia Benson, her character, has turned into, like, this, this cop whisperer kind of thing. I mean, she's so, she's so compassionate, and, and she's so giving and caring of everybody in the show. It's gotten sickening. It's ridiculous. This is the same thing that happened at NYPD Blue. Because it was on too long, they turned Sipowicz into a from a grouch into a teddy bear over the course of time, and it, it wasn't real. I'm just saying, Mariska Hardingay, the character has become a caricature, so I don't watch it anymore. And I am down on her.
1: I was a big fan of NYPD Blue, loved the well, show.
2: Besides, I mean, Sipowicz's character changed I, by the end. One thing: the show was on too long.
1: It actually not I not too many years. Actually, it wasn't on that long at all. How how long was the run? I was, think 11 was it even ten? Oh, I, I don't even think it was ten years.
2: I think it was eleven years. Really? And the last couple, Sipowitz, was an, an, insufferably sensitive.
1: <laughs> um yeah. Um God, who was um I forget her name. Uh oh, she played in a soap opera when I was in college, on all my children, and she was on NYPD Blue. Um, I'm not going to remember her name. Uh, the other
2: thing, he was old, he was he was married to two gorgeous women in the show.
1: Yeah, he was.
2: Oh, <laughs> Kim, uh, um, I mean, Kim,
1: Kim Delaney, who played Diane.
2: Yes. Kim Delaney. who yeah, so was married to Bob Bobby Simone.
1: Right, um, because she was, uh, I think it was All My Children. When I was in college, I watched a lot of soap operas, um, with, because that's what you did in the 1980s in college. Is
2: oh, I did, too. I watched I watched it, too.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, General Hospital was the, the biggest hook, but she was Jenny on All My Children, right? Not One Life to Live, All My Children, pretty much All My Children. For anybody that wants to correct me, go ahead. Um,
2: I used to watch One Life to Live.
1: One Life to Live. Well, it was the the ABC triple header when I was in college? Was all my children One Life to Live, and then everybody watched General Hospital. General Hospital, probably in terms of a daytime soap opera, maybe even a daytime television show. Although I'm sure Oprah, um, you know, killed it. But I w- I would bet you that some of those General Hospital shows in the 1980s drew millions and millions of viewers. The Luke and Laura, you know, saga um, was yeah. was huge in popular culture in the 80s. Tommy, like, y- if you didn't even know what a General Hospital was, you heard about the Luke and
2: Laura wedding. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, You're right. It, it was a big deal. By the way, on NYPD Blue, my babe was uh Andrea Thompson, Jill Kirkendall.
1: Yeah, she was great.
2: I liked I she I, was she was my babe.
1: I, and, I liked all of the um I I, I love I liked that show. I never really got into law and order. By the way, what what started this portion of the conversation, I can't remember. But what I was gonna say. Rams. Was, Uh, The Rams. What I was going to say to you is that the death of Jane Mansfield is horrific, and do you know that um, the daughter? I I think I'm right about this. Was in the vehicle and survived. She was one of uh, Jane Mansfield Jane Mansfield's children that were in the vehicle that uh, crashed and killed. I think everybody in the front seat, but the children in the back seat survived. I think that's right. I'm looking it up as we speak. Hold on for a second. Well, I want to make sure. She was
2: born in Bryn Mawr, PA, and she's buried in Penn Argyle, Pennsylvania, which is just a stone's throw From East Stroudsburg.
1: Yeah, here it is, Tom. Uh,
2: She must have grown up there at some point. In
1: 1967, Mansfield was in Biloxi, Mississippi for an engagement at the Gus Stevens Supper Club. After two appearances on the evening of June 28th, Mansfield's Sam Brody, he was her attorney and companion, their driver Ronnie Harrison, who was 20 years old, and three of her children, Miklos, Zoltan, and Mariska, left Biloxi after midnight in a 1966 Buick Electra 225. Do you know what that car looked like? Whatever. Their destination no. was New Orleans, where Mansfield was to appear in a midday show the following day at about 2.25 a.m. on U.S. Highway 90 West. Uh, the Buick crashed at high speed into the rear of a tractor trailer shrouded in insecticide fog that had slowed behind a truck sprang mosquito fogger. <laughs> so, hold on. The insecticide f- uh Oh, okay, I see. The, the tractor trailer was shrouded in the insecticide fog that the mosquito fogging truck in front of it was spraying. The three adults in the front seat died instantly. The children asleep in the rear seat survived with minor injuries. Um, and then, this gets sort of morbid, but reports that Mansfield was decapitated are untrue, although she suffered severe head trauma. This urban legend started with the appearance of police photographs of the crashed car, with its top virtually sheared off, and what resembled a blonde-haired head tangled in the car's smashed windshield. Ooh. However... God the blonde object was a wig that Mansfield was wearing and possibly parts of her real hair and scalp. Um, she was a true pin-up star. Is that what you called them back then?
2: Yes, pin-up girl.
1: Pin-up girl. But your girl was in the back seat, survived it. And I would imagine if it was 1967, I'm going to guess that she's 50, in her mid-50s, so she was probably three or four years old. That's my guess. It doesn't say how old the three children were. How old How old do you think Mariska is? I'm
2: thinking 56.
1: Yeah, that's what I would guess. So that means she was born in 63, 64, and... Um, she would have been, a, you know, she would have been in a situation where she wouldn't have remembered it, right? Uh, she's okay. fifty. She's yeah. fi- she's fifty seven years old. I just love that.
2: Okay. Fifty seven. Uh, Jane Mansfield was born in nineteen thirty three in Bryn Mawr, PA. Then she moved to Phillipsburg, New Jersey, a town I used to cover. Uh, I used to cover the politics and government in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, which is a wild town. Uh, and then they moved to Penn Pennardge when she was three. Uh, and then she lived there for three years, but apparently uh, she really felt a, a connection to Penn Argyle. Mm. That's where she's buried now.
1: Uh, Bryn Mawr, lovely, right outside of Philadelphia. By the way, do you know how many times she was married? Mansfield? No. Uh, four three? times. Four times. Really? And she was only 34 when she passed away. It's a lot of marriages for 34, oh. but they married early back then. Um, anyway, by the way, speaking of pinups uh larry flint died yesterday and do you know do you know how old larry flint was 75 he he was seven i think 78 i would have thought he would have been so much older than that i mean how old was he when he started started hustler he must have been in his like early 20s or teens
2: have you ever seen the movie the people versus larry flint
1: excellent Excellent movie.
2: Yeah, very Woody, good Woody movie.
1: Harrelson, right?
2: Yeah, and Ed Edward uh, Norton and,
1: and Ed Norton. Very
2: good. Directed by Milo's Foreman. Uh, yeah, it's a good movie, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's kind of a remarkable story that uh, what a life, and then you know he became this government, the Burr in, in, in government, you know, this yeah. this government magpie who, yeah who would uh, hire investigators to come up with uh, on, on dirt from government officials and stuff. He was quite the character.
1: Um, he started Hustler Magazine in 1972, it looks like. So he would have been 78, so he would have been born 58. He would have been 42, so he would have been 30 years old. Okay, so... I, uh, for, I guess I was thinking that the magazine was probably started earlier, but whatever. Um, there weren't
2: in the sixties. There weren't magazines like Hustler, buddy.
1: No, there <laughs> no. weren't. Well, no, w- w- well, what year, no, there weren't. What what year did Hefner start Playboy?
2: Yeah, but Playboy was 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 like your mother and father's porn magazine. I know, compared
1: to Hustler, Hustler, yes. I get that. But what year was... That's what I mean. When was Playboy started? Playboy, I think,
2: started in the 50s. Uh, But uh, there was nothing like Hustler in the 60s. At least not that it didn't come in a brown paper, brown (laughs) wrapper. No, no,
1: no, no. Uh, Hustler, well, you would know this more than I. Hustler compared to Playboy was like real porn versus soft porn.
2: I have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, you do but uh, listen, I'm going to give everybody a heads up. I'm going to give myself a plug, something I never do.
1: Oh, you never okay? do. Okay. You know, right.
2: But uh, I posted on Twitter and Facebook, uh, on the podcast that I used to do, Cigars and Curveballs, I did a long conversation with a writer named Robert Ward, very famous writer, author, uh, used to be a, a, write magazine profiles for Inside Sports. He wrote the magazine profile where Reggie Jackson said, I'm the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, Well, he also did one on Larry Flint, and he tells some great stories about how crazy Larry Flint was uh, on this podcast, which I've just reposted on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, It's worth a listen. Robert Ward is a very interesting guy with a very interesting life, uh, but his Larry Flint stories are great.
1: Um. Just, just help me remember this. Larry Flint was in a wheelchair because he was shot, right? Yes. Okay. What, what, why was he shot? Was he shot by some crazy religious? You know, per, I I I for, I, I forget was, the story I mean, I from think the movie.
2: Was, I mean, the story from the movie was he was at a he was being tried for obscenity.
1: Yeah, I know that, but why was he...
2: When he got got shot. Oh, okay. So I would imagine that had something to do with it. Got it.
1: Okay, I want to talk about um, this Mark Cuban thing um, with the National Anthem, canceling it at Dallas Mavericks games. And we will do that right after this word from one of our sponsors. This segment brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag is a place you can go wager, and you can wager in a safe environment, knowing that you're getting quality lines, you're getting quality prices, and if you win, you will get paid. If you go to MyBookie at MyBookie.ag and use my promo code, KevinDC, they'll match your deposit halfway up to a thousand dollars. That means if you deposit six hundred, they're going to give you an extra three hundred to play with. It's a deal that you should take advantage of. Even if you have another place where you're betting, why not take the the, the free money? And you can have a place where you can comparison shop on point spreads, etc. MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. They not only have every single game, lots of in-game action, plenty of prop bets, lots of futures action. They also have an online casino, an online race book, lots of contests. I think you'll really enjoy MyBookie at MyBookie.ag. Just use my promo code KevinDC to get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand dollars. So I talked about this, not on the podcast yesterday, just on the radio show. Um, apparently the Dallas Mavericks going back to the preseason are, have not been playing the national anthem, um, before games. Now, nobody's in these arenas watching these games. And I've said this many times in the past, you know, Barely. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but if you consider that most people, like the massive majority of people, watch games on TV, then you're really talking about like 10% or less of the viewing audience of any given game, probably less than that, actually are exposed to the anthem before a sporting event. You don't see it on TV unless it's a Super Bowl. They don't. You don't see that during the regular season. You don't see that during NBA regular season games. And if you're at the game, odds are you're at the consistency Sessions stay in the bathroom or still walking in from the parking lot or still getting hammered in the parking lot. I mean, Tom Brady, did you see how hammered he was yesterday, Tommy? (laughs) A little bit. He looks like he'd be a fun guy to hang out with uh, after a big win. (laughs) Um, But anyway... Uh, Mark Cuban um, decided that they weren't going to play the national anthem. And then this blew up into a story yesterday, and he had a lot of comments basically starting with, and I'll play, uh, not play, I will read to you um, the critical comments from it. He says that they did not cancel the anthem. In fact, what he said was we decided to test this in a preseason game to see what the reaction would be. Here's the quote. Uh, During the first preseason game, we decided not to play it and just see what the response was, knowing that we were going to have ongoing conversations about it. We didn't make any decision to never play the National Anthem then. That wasn't the case at all. We didn't cancel the National Anthem. We still had our flag flying proud up on the wall at American Airlines Center, and everybody had the opportunity to address it and pray to it or salute to it or whatever their feelings were. Were There was never any final decision that was made that we would not play the anthem, but they haven't been playing the anthem. And he said, we respect and always have respected the passion people have for the anthem in our country, but we also loudly hear the voices of those who feel the anthem does not represent them. We feel that their voices need to be respected and heard because they have not been respected and heard. Um, And then there was one other really good quote from him in here um but anyway um so there was definitely some backlash to the story yesterday and you can see that he's backtracking a little bit that there wasn't like an official cancellation by the way in a preseason game with no fans what does that mean that they were testing to see what the response would be yeah i don't understand that yeah um.
2: Anyway, I don't. I don't get it either. What What kind of input are they looking for from that?
1: <laughs> right. Uh. You know, a couple of the guys that were there to turn the lights on and off. Um. You know, a couple of the scorekeepers or the referees or the players. Whatever. What What is your reaction to this?
2: Well, this is, you know, the national anthem obviously has become one of the third rail topics in sports right now because there's no there. If you come out in support of the anthem, you're considered a racist in part. There's something wrong with you.
1: Oh my God! You're so, uh, God. That's that's an it, exaggeration.
2: If, I don't think it is. If you if you were in I, support are
1: if you were in support of the anthem, people view you as a racist. I mean, I understand that there are some lyrics in in the Star Spangled Banner that have been problematic, but do people actually think that? for those that are sitting there singing the national anthem, that they are, you know, doing it in a malicious way, that there's some sort of racist feeling when they sing it?
2: I think there's a segment that does.
1: Okay, well, it's not the segment the that you that believe does. that that people who voted for Trump are deemed to be racist. I, I would consider those two situations to be apples and oranges. But go ahead.
2: I just think, like, the the anthem, I mean, it's kind of... The whole argument has lost its way. Uh, You know, I mean, I think it's okay. And I've said this all along. I'm not going to change my mind about this. I think for some people who were offended by players kneeling for the anthem, who understood what they were trying to do, who understood their message, and who maybe even agreed with their message that police brutality uh, needed the spotlight shown on it, you know, I still think some of those people can be offended by the method, by saying all that may be true, but the anthem means something personal to me, too. You know, whether it's a relative who was, who was, was buried with, with, you know, with a flag or, or, or something like that. I, I don't think it, it's, it's an absolute that if you were upset about players kneeling for the anthem, uh, you're against those players. You're against what they were trying to do. I mean, that's probably the case, but not everybody is like that. You know, so I think there's a a segment of the population that were in the stands who might have been offended by the kneeling, who agreed with the reasons for the kneeling, just didn't like the method, saying, no, this is too important to me for you to mess with. Uh, I personally, as far as banning the anthem, uh, I'm not in favor of that uh, because... I think for two minutes uh, in between, I always would look around, and I know this is wrong because it doesn't represent everybody the same way, but I, when the an anthem would be played, I'd look around, and I'd see a whole group of people that, didn't, that really weren't united by anything, but for, you know, except for rooting for the team that they were there to see. But for two minutes, they, they, were, they all had a common goal to stand up and, and represent you know their country, and I thought for two minutes it was not that big of a sacrifice so i I've never had a problem with the anthem being played, and i i'm not I, I'm not saying they should you know that players should be punished for kneeling for the anthem. I think you know that, that that's not what I'm saying look the the idea is not to ban the anthem; it's to play the anthem before the players come out.
1: You know, you just said something, and every once in a while, you'll say something in a way that'll be like, "Hmm, maybe I have a different view on this." Um, and what you said was those two minutes <clears throat> that you know you looked around, and you know, I, I would add, you know, hats off, hand over heart, standing up, and at a sporting event, sort of looking at everybody like, "Hey, we're all Americans," that kind of a thing. Um, but my 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 position. Was has never changed on this and it started with obviously Colin Kaepernick and I said this the day it happened and became an event and became a news story I said that his means are going to mask his message and that's you know I, I think you made a really good distinction there that Many people do and did hear and understand what he was kneeling for, but disagreed with the method anyway. I think a lot of people didn't even couldn't get past the kneeling to even get to the point where they were even open minded or even wanted to hear why he was doing it. And I think initially my thought was there are just too many people um in this country, you know, and you know many. NFL cities in particular, that just aren't going to put up with this. And it damaged the league. You know, the league took a hit because of it um, in 2017. You know, I, I'm, I'm also just reminded briefly, I, I thought, and I know we talked about this, <clears throat> I thought when Drew Brees did that interview in that magazine, the financial ma- magazine, or maybe it was a financial uh, show, When he said that players who kneel are disrespecting America, I thought that was outrageously um, disingenuous on Drew Brees' part. He was there front and center. He knew the reason that Colin Kaepernick and others were kneeling. He didn't have to agree with it, um, but he knew the reason, and he, he misrepresented the reason that they were kneeling um, during the yeah. anthem, and and he, yes, he did. and he knew better, and so I I didn't like that at all. Um, but but my my thing, and I'm looking for it real quickly because somebody sent me this tweet that because I talked about it yesterday on the radio show, and if you'll give me a second, okay, here it is. This guy Denny <coughs> wrote me and said. I've heard you be very passionate about many things, including things not related to sports. I'm surprised at your lack of passion for Mark Cuban's decision to not play the anthem before his team's games. Um, And so uh, I'm not passionate about this. I can't even fake passion or energy for this issue. Now, what you just described a little while ago that I referred to actually made me think, I have felt that way in standing up before a sporting event when they're playing the anthem about looking around and and saying, you know, we're all sort of Americans. We're, We're all here for two minutes, you know, being thankful for, you know, the country that we live in. And maybe not everybody was thinking the same way I was, and they probably weren't. But there was that sense. You know, Sunday morning, Tommy, on Friday's show, I played Whitney Houston's 30 years ago Super Bowl um, National Anthem, which is just an incredibly moving rendition of the anthem. You know, it it was that Buffalo uh, Giants Super Bowl in Tampa that came a week after the Gulf War started. And it's just amazing that 30 years later, the country is so divided when on that day 30 years ago, 1991, the country was so unified. It's an incredible um, version of it. It. Marvin Gaye is still my favorite version from the 83 NBA All-Star Game. But there were several um, shows on Sunday, uh, the story behind how that came to be. Paul Tagliabue, George Bush, others desperately wanted her, and she wanted to do it. And she – it was a one-take deal, you know, and she, she, and she was phenomenal. Anyway, um, I just kind of feel like – and I've said this before – and it's not because I'm not patriotic and, and it's not because I'm not appreciative of the country I live in and and I'm not, you know, appreciative of, of of all those that helped protect my way of life, you know, in wars that, you know, resulted in being able to live the way we live. I just think that the ritual itself, like, you know, the anthem before a sporting event just isn't necessary. You know especially if it's going to result in controversy, you know, most people, as I said, never see it, never hear it. And, you know, now we have kneeling and other things that are, you know, other ways during this anthem to express political and or social statements. And, you know, I was thinking about this last night. You know it's going to get flipped now. If you're standing, well, this was your point initially about you know if you stand, you're viewed in a certain way. I don't think that that it's that it's quite that harsh, but I think that you know people look at people who may stand during the anthem and say, "Well, you're standing for something that's political or social. You're trying to make a statement. What do we need any of this for before a sporting event?"
2: I, I just, I know that Kevin, but we, but, but the way the way here's what happened, and the NFL is hoisted by their own petard because of this. They turned it into a patriotic show. They turned their pregame presentation years ago into a patriotic show. Well,
1: they're not the only ones. I
2: mean, for years. Huh?
1: They're not. Every sport does it.
2: But but the NFL were the first. They turned it into a big patriotic show uh, with the military flyovers and and, and, and all that. And it it became a bigger deal, okay? They always started playing the anthem when the players were on the field, I think, within the last 15 years. Before, I think the players were in the locker room.
1: No, when they no, 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 are They've been in the locker room more recently. They used to be on the field. It used to be much closer to kickoff. I don't know. You might be right. I forget. The, the the bottom line is no, so you know it
2: doesn't become an it, it, it would never have become an issue if they had just kept it simply as the anthem without some kind of big patriotic show and leave the players in the locker room where they had been for years.
1: I'll be honest with you, I think that Mark Cuban um, that he sort of thought probably well, I mean obviously now because there aren't any fans. So it's you know it's not a good comparison, but if the NFL decided starting next year they weren't going to play the anthem and they didn't even put a press release out of, out about it, I, I it's going to be written about. It's going to be noticed, but not by most people, and most
2: people aren't In going to Washington care. Washington it would, I, okay. In I, Washington, it would.
1: I guess I just don't. And and look I've been in stadiums where before big games and there's this feeling but it's not it's I don't know I just don't care if it's played or not played and I think if it's going to be controversial um then sports shouldn't be the place where it's controversial before a sporting event just
2: just keep the players in the locker room and then do it Okay. Well, I mean, have taken well, but you, but you out, believe out that
1: you believe a bunch of people will be looking at people standing and thinking that guy's a racist.
2: I think most people uh, in the crowd could care less.
1: That's my at point. That point. That's my point. I think most people in the in the crowd could care less anyway. You know, that's why during the anthem before a big game, you hear people, you know, screaming out "fuck Duke," <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, or the kill practice, me! the practice of. Of players for out on the field for the Anthem started in 2009.
1: So you're telling me that NFL. in the 70s and the 80s, players weren't out there for the Anthem? I think they were.
2: Uh, not according to this story about uh, uh, the what the NFL said. Uh, uh, NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy confirmed this morning that the practice began in 2009.
1: Okay. Um, what uh what was your – did you get a reaction to your Marty column? It was really good. Did you get a reaction to it?
2: Well, thank you. Yes, I did. Uh, uh, I got a lot of a lot of likes, a lot of feedback. Uh, again, more on Facebook than on Twitter. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean <laughs> the traffic and attention I'm getting on Facebook – something's changed. I don't know if, if it's an algorithm change or something, because unlike Twitter – all your followers on Facebook don't necessarily see what you post. Okay. You know, there's some kind of formula for it, but something has changed, and I'm getting a lot more traffic and 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 input on Facebook.
1: Okay. What was the uh, reaction? Wh- wh- what before. was the reaction?
2: Well, the reaction was very very positive, and one of her reactions was, uh, "I'm glad am glad you didn't call Lavar Arrington."
1: <laughs> Why?
2: Well, because apparently he went off on Instagram and pissed all over the team, uh, for the way they treated Marty, but made it about himself. Oh, really? Like I said, blowhard.
1: I I reached out to him. He never got back to me. You know, I, he never wanted to do really anything with anybody from our station, which is fine. Um, but uh, what did he? What did he? What did he piss all over the team? For? I don't know for firing. I, Marty? I don't
2: know the details.
1: I want to go I, watch I don't, this. Yeah, thing. I'm
2: sure. I'm, yes, I'm sure that's what it was. But like I said, I'm sure he made it about him as much as anything. Okay. You know because look, I uh, you know it's ironic uh, when uh, Lavar got drafted. I went up to Pennsylvania and did a story on him, and I was in his house. And I spent time with him and his family in his house. Couldn't have been nicer to me. His family was absolutely wonderful. To it's be a family
1: around. of educators, right? Teachers.
2: Yeah, I I don't remember exactly, but I was very impressed with him and his family, and I was very high on Levar uh, coming out of. I thought he was just a tremendous, such a tremendous. I thought he could have played fullback in the NFL. Yeah, uh, that's how talented I, I thought he was, but. Uh, you know, I just, I mean, I, I called two players. You know, I, I wound up getting in touch with two players, Sam Shade and... and uh, David,
1: David Terrell. You told uh, us about it the other David day. David Terrell. Yeah.
2: Right. And uh, they, they wanted to talk about Marty, not about them. So.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, the, the last thought I'll ha- I have on, on him is that, in re- you know, we, we were here on the air the day that he died. We did this on Tuesday, right? He died on Tuesday. And so we, we already sort of spent a lot of time talking about him. But the one thing that I noticed in, in reading a lot of things about him, and then I watched his Football Life special again, which is actually excellent. Um He's the example, Tommy, of a coach's coach. Like, you made the point about how the media didn't like him, about how the Post didn't like him. And, you know, I mentioned – I remember listening to Andy and Steve. I, I They were my favorite show on Sports Talk Radio. I wasn't working um, in media at that point. And I remember they couldn't stand him. Um, and, you know, I think he – if you read through the Tony Dungy's and the various contemporary coaches and even coaches today there's a respect for him and the way he did it and the way he, like there're just very few guys now that did it his way which was as an authoritarian, but a very likable one with his players. Like he, his players loved him. He was very loving and very caring as a human being, both in his private life and with his players. Um, but I just I, I, I sat there and read a lot of different things that people said, and I'm like, you know, this, this is a guy, his 200 wins, only six people with more wins. This is a guy that coaches know more than anybody else was a great Coach, and they don't care about his postseason record because they know how hard it is to win 14 games, 13 games, 13 games. The, his regular season consistency and outrageous success, you know, 11 seasons of, of double digit wins, um, how incredibly accomplished that is. And there's also a recognition of just an incredible you know, bad luck in the postseason, whether it was the drive or the fumble or, you know, the the Lynn Elliott missed field goals against the Colts or the missed field goal by Nate Kading or the Marlon McCree interception and fumble it back to the Patriots and Brady beats him. It was just such – like, to me, one Super Bowl, just one Super Bowl, he would have been, he would have been a, a first-ballot lock Hall of Famer. Maybe not first ballot, but he would have been in the Hall of Fame 15 years ago. He would have been had he just gotten yeah. one. Yes. But he didn't. Yeah. Um, no. Anyway. All right. Anything else?
2: I got nothing else, boss. Uh,
1: I'll leave you with this. Um, this from the Washington Wizards head coach. His name is Scott Brooks. They got beat last night 137 to 115. A game in which Toronto made 19, Tommy, 19 of 32 from beyond the arc. They shot 59.4% from behind the arc, made 19 (laughs) three-pointers in the game, and the Wizards once again got absolutely blown out, giving up just too many points. And Scott Brooks said after the game, um, quote, They were 19 for 32. That's tough to do in an open gym. Closed quote. (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. If you got somebody just feeding you, shooting three pointers, and you shoot thirty-two of them, but you're moving, you're not—it's not, it's not a, you're not just standing there shooting them. But it's an open gym, and you're moving around. You're probably not going to make nineteen to thirty-two, even if you're a really good shooter. Um, that's unbelievable. That is unbelievable how bad they are. You know, they, this they're is, a terrible that's team. That's not a
2: healthy. That's not a healthy attitude for a coach to have. I know this it is, isn't. This is a healthy attitude. This is what Ted is who owns the team, by the way. Tweeted two days ago, I guess, when they won. They won the game before this one, didn't they? Yeah,
1: yeah. they had a big one-game winning streak.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is Ted's tweet. Great team win. Led by 35 points from NBA All-Star Real De- Deal Beal 23. Washington Wizards are getting healthy and are 3-3 and in the last six games and finished 2-2 and on this road trip. Um. Next game back at Capital One Arena tomorrow against the Raptors.
1: They're so bad to watch on defense. It's just unbelievable. Here's another quote, by the way, from Beal after the game about the three-point shooting. It's frustrating because we were in the game. We were right there in the game. And then all of a sudden, we're down 10. We're down 15. We couldn't guard the three-point line. And they were just lining them up, close quote. Get in line. Shoot your three-pointer. If you make it, you get a stuffed animal. Here we go. No defense. (laughs) Um, and we, we, we've actually, we shrunk the rim a little bit. Um, I always did well in those shooting things at at the beach in various places for the boys and always was able to produce enough to hand it to him. Yeah. Once you get in the rhythm, you know, even those, those rims, the, the actual, uh, you know, uh, circumference, if you will, um, is probably a little bit shorter. They don't want you get, it's gotta be perfect, but if you throw it up there soft enough, it'll roll around and go in. All right. We're done for the day. Uh, I'm back tomorrow. Um, and I don't know what we're doing tomorrow. Uh, we'll figure it out though, between now and then. All right, Tommy, thanks.
2: Okay, boss. Bye.
1: Okay. Then back tomorrow.